Even if you live in a very safe area, and a lot of us do, I would bet dollars to donuts that there is some level of criminality that you are unaware of. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on the show and co-host in live, Glenn Tate. Well, hello. You know, as the Russians are finding out in Ukraine, brute force doesn't win conflicts. Intelligence does. The Ukrainians have essentially started from zero on their intelligence gathering and analysis, but they came up to speed very quickly. Preppers can do a mini version of this by keeping an open mind on what intel is and how to do a rudimentary intel program on their own to keep track of criminals and other threats in a post-SHTF world. Sam Culper, a forward observer, is the guy you need to hear from. Lightning round quick, Shelby. I'm going to pick a sponsor superlative. This is a new feature we have. This is where I randomly, off the top of my head, come up with a sponsor superlative that you will or I will then use when we read our sponsors. So Uh, do we need to define superlative? Uh, yeah, it means very good. Okay. It means the bestest. It's a really good adjective. The bestest. The bestest. All right. I pick spectacular. All right. So using the word spectacular, I would like to mention uh, Jared Savick and Lizzie McDaniel. They are spectacular realtors. And you can find them at redstate-realtors.com. And they will help you find and relocate to a great prepping location. Jared covers Montana and Lizzie covers Tennessee. And they are spectacular at what they do. Very well done. You know, we have great guests. Today is one of them, Sam Culper. I wanted to let folks know about some of our other upcoming guests because, candidly, we're knocking it out of the park with guests. We love mixing it up between shows that are just Shelby and me and then also some guests. Uh, Next week, we're going to have the one-dimensional prepper, which is somebody who takes one dimension of prepping and, and... like comes up with some half-cooked idea and then we get a critique it. It's a great way to learn about things. We're going to have Tim Anderson, who is a holster maker and a concealed carry guy. There's been some interesting developments in the world of concealed carry. We're going to have Brent on our show. He turned his church into a prepping church, and I think it's fascinating how he did it. I think people will get a lot out of it. We're also going to have, we just signed him on, David Helms, the RV prepper, who is going to tell us all about prepping and RVs. Also want to mention, we have restocked the Merch Shack. If you go over to prepping2-0.com, click on shop, you will find first brand new piece of merchandise there and it's FlexFit hats. These are legit hats. These are not made in Pakistan thin burlap sack hats. Because those are really popular. Yes. I cannot see that feeling good on someone's head. No, but the, but we would save 25 cents uh, a, a unit on it. So that yeah. apparently is so the we, driving and, motive. And we are not that cheap. No, we're no, not that No, we way. got the FlexFit hat, Flex hats, and they have our great logo on them. We also restocked all of our hoodies. This is a great time of year. Boy, we felt that last mm-hmm. night in a cold, chilly football game. Encourage you to um, stock up on hoodies and hats over at a merch shack. Another new feature, the reason of the week to be a Patreon. Well, here's a pretty easy one. The last after show we did with Paul Burke, the Idaho realtor, was 35 minutes. That's the after show is 35 minutes more than the regular show. You know what that equates to? That's 35 more minutes of the Prepping 2.0 you love so much. Speaking of loving so much, we love Sam Culper. He's a former Army Intel guy. He is now with Forward Observer, which is a prepping and other oriented intelligence uh, distribution center. He does a daily YouTube video called The Daily Situational Awareness. He does a podcast and a newsletter, and he has a book coming out in just a few weeks. It might be out by the time you hear this called Area Intelligence Handbook. And with that, I welcome you, sir. Hey, Glenn and Shelby. How are y'all doing? We're doing great. We're, we're excited to have you on. You've been a guest on before, and uh, you've, you've been very popular, and people wanted to hear from you again. Let me ask the first question, which is, is intelligence James Bond stuff, or is this something that every prepper can do in some form or another to help them survive? Why not both? I tell you, it, re- it really can be both. Uh, we are teaching, it's not exactly James Bond stuff, but 
there is a place for surveillance and reconnaissance, I think, in in kind of community prepper intelligence. Um, but that's more advanced. I, I, I recommend everyone start off with very basic area familiarization, and you can do that through building an area study, building a local network. And I, I'll tell you, really, I, I look at it like you should be building your, your network because, you know, in the Army, we said every soldier is a sensor. Every soldier has a responsibility and obligation to pass along information that may have intelligence value. And it's the same way in our preparedness groups or neighborhood watch or just our friends and family locally. I, there are so many sensors out there. And as, an, and as an Intel guy, I want to organize those sensors so that they can start passing me information or passing inf- information to the neighborhood watch or to the, you know, the, the S2 or whoever's kind of overseeing this effort and start putting together the puzzle of local security. So, Glenn, I think it can be both. I think there's a, a place for, for both the very basic and also the advanced stuff, but we got to start with the basics. Exactly. And and you illustrate this well when you've been on the show previously, and, and I listen to your, your, your podcast and your YouTube channel. You always talk about the Leroy Jenkins gang. What is the Leroy Jenkins gang? And by the way, have you made T-shirts yet that say Leroy Jenkins gang? Because you ought to. <laughs> no, we, you know, we... We haven't. Uh, we, we've really been lacking in the uh, the merchant apparel category. <laughs> so maybe, maybe we'll maybe we'll do that. Roll that out. All right. So yeah, the Leroy Jenkins gang is just kind of this prototypical gang. I mean, everywhere has something like this. If it's you know the the town drunk or the the town drug dealer that's breaking into vehicles or the group of young hoodlums in the area you know, that are doing whatever they're doing, uh, you know, all the way up to organized crime and, and every area, and I say organized crime, and, and I don't necessarily mean, you know, mob bosses in the mafia. I'm talking about, you know, local political corruption, local criminals, all, all the things that we just, we see in the news. I mean, it's like every day we're seeing somewhere where politicians or DAs or county attorneys are giving preferential treatment to to drug rings, to human traffickers, they get arrested. They're out on bail for 25 bucks the next day. And, you know, I, I would say, even if you live in a very safe area, and a lot of us do, uh, I would bet dollars to donuts that there is some, some level of criminality that you are unaware of. And it, it may be political corruption. It may be corruption in, uh, you know, in, in, in a formal or an informal power center. And what I mean by that is the people who control the levers of, of your county, control the letter levers of your region or, or your area. Um, you know, that's the stuff that we really need to watch out for. Because, yes, you know, guys with guns and with, with bad intent, that, that's bad stuff. But, you know, there, there's a lot more going on than just, you know, being shot at or uh, as we I, I tell you, as we look towards the future. A, a, a descent into the third world, I think that's a massive threat. And if, if your area does not have a legit Leroy Jenkins gang today, uh, uh, there's a good chance it will in the future. And so the time really is now to get out ahead of that and begin anticipating those conditions and threats that are going to manifest themselves in the future if they're not already in your area and active today. Keeping with the spectacular sponsor superlative of the week, I would like to talk about U.S. Law Shield. They're spectacular. Katie Armour, great body armor. Backwoods Home Magazine, New Mana Foods, Minutemen Coffee, and EMP Shield. Now, why don't you pick up where you left off, Sam? Keep telling us about how this topic of intel, because it's not intuitive that intel is something preppers need to take care of. Everybody understands they need guns and they need food and they need water. I mean, are you ever amazed at how the, I don't know, the typical uh, Facebook posts or whatever about the stuff you need to think about if you're a prepper? It never, I've never in my life, except for your materials, seen a mention of Intel. I mean, why do you think that is? Why do you think so many preppers have a blind spot on this topic? My best guess is because they've just never been exposed to it. That that may be part of the problem. The other part of the problem is maybe a lot of these people, they just, they haven't been in a situation where they have really needed real time information. They may not have ever come across 
good local intelligence. And so they just don't understand the value of it. I don't know. There, maybe there are many other reasons. You know, I'll tell you, there's maybe people just overestimate their abilities or overestimate their capabilities to deal with these problems in the future. Everything is not guns and ammo. I mean, you know, in some cases, as we're learning through the news again, almost every day, the use of a firearm may create more problems than it solves. And, you know, I, I know there's this tendency because security is very important. I would say security is like my number one top priority, but for me, I want to push my security capabilities out and not just be reactive and not just respond to threats, but be able to anticipate and go out and identify threats and work to mitigate those risks. And we do that through good information that we turn into intelligence. And so by, by having a local intelligence network, we can, we can put our feelers out and start, you know, talking to people and, uh, potentially recruiting additional people into this network to share information with us. And so, you know, I'll tell you the, I was amazed. I, I, we've, we've been fortunate to recruit some law enforcement people into our, our preparedness network, which now spans about seven counties. My and, goodness. Yeah. And so, you know, through law enforcement, I mean, we've learned just so much about gangs in the area and, uh, the drug cartels that are active, you won't, you know, you won't hear this on the six or, you know, seven, 10, 10 PM news, uh, activities that really exist below the surface of what is observable by the average person. And so when I talk about an intelligence network, I, I mean, let's go out and let's find like-minded people in the community, network with them, share information. And it's not all bad stuff, but I, I've just been able to learn so much about what is actually happening in this County that I otherwise would not have learned just by, you know, reading the news or watching the, you know, local news or, or whatever. So the, the information's out there. We just have to go get it. Hmm. And, and if you don't mind me tooting my own horn for a moment, there's a great illustration of everything you said. And that's the 299 days book series, because I took a lot of concepts that I learned from you and I wove them into the books. There are all kinds of characters that are, you know, that are cops that are maybe saying stuff and, and helping out some folks. There's even a few and, and they're thinly veiled as storylines. Well, they're not actually that thinly veiled. They are veiled as storylines, but there's information on counterintelligence, which is finding out who is trying to spy on you. And uh, so this is real life stuff is my point. If it plays out in a 299 days storyline, it's it's something that I think people can relate to. And, and what you mentioned about having friends in law enforcement, um, we have uh, we have a friend in law enforcement. When we moved to Montana, he let me know what the gangs were in Western Montana. And it was eye opening. Yes, was, there are gangs in Western Montana, yes, ladies right. and gentlemen. There's gangs everywhere. You need there's, to just know that. Yes. Yeah, there's there's, you know, gangs on uh, Martha's Vineyard probably has gangs. Well, I mean, they do now for sure. Yeah, they're, they're everywhere. And so, and, and it wasn't anything he was divulging that was secret or anything. There are all kinds of open source, you know, gang databases and all of these. It wasn't a database, but I mean, there's information about gangs and just not even knowing which gangs were out here. Uh, it, it wasn't just that. It was knowing that there are gangs, you know, and we get a little bit insulated here in a great red place like we are in. Um, I know you're in Texas. And so, you know, you've got a lot of natural advantages there, but you also have gangs and the Leroy Jenkins gang. I love it how you talk about it because it sounds so comical, yet it's so serious. So, yes, there are gangs around you. And here's the thing. We know that when there are no cops, there are no effective cops the gangs are going to go bananas. There's, I think, two kinds of gangs. I'm curious what you think, Sam. One are existing criminal organizations, and you address that. Um, by the way, a, a friend of mine who is a corrections officer in a very bad place um, tells me that he's had conversations with gang members, and they're just right out in the open. They, they say, yeah, we to a man, they say, yeah, we have a plan for when stuff falls apart. We're going to take down water treatment facilities and, and you're going to have to buy water from us and we're going to take down uh, gas stations 
and all the gas is going to be gang gas. You can tell that that influenced me in the 299 days book series. So they're everywhere. Um, and then there's the other kind of gang and you, you were alluding to this and I'm curious if you want to elaborate on this. I called them rotary club gangs in, in my uh, book series. And this isn't about my book series. This is about hearing from Sam. So I'll quit talking about the books, but it was, um, you know, I use an example of a dentist who had, uh, on all cash, actually all gold and silver and ammo dental practice. And in order to get the painkillers he needed, he had to buy them from bad people and he had to protect his dental clinic from people trying to steal the drugs. And so he had the Russian businessmen, which is the Russian word for mafioso is businessmen. I'm not even making that up. So anyway, just, I mean, have I, have I painted an accurate picture of, of the sorts of threats that might be out there, criminal threats that might be out there in a SHTF situation? Absolutely. And Glenn, by the way, you don't have to stop talking about 299 days. I routinely hear from friends of mine, including a active duty special operations guy who's still in it. He said 299 days is the most realistic of, of all the prepper fiction he's read. 299 days is the most realistic scenario that has been painted so far. And I, I agree with that. It's not all, yeah, maybe, maybe you'll get Mad Max one day, but you know, there's a lot of things where I, I'm really big on the gray zone. And I'll tell you, the gray zone is where, Hey, you wake up, sometimes utilities work. Sometimes they may not it may be safe to go into town one day. It may be not safe to go into town the next day. So, you know, it's not just like, uh, you know, powers off back to the stone age type of life. I mean, you look at Mexico, lots of areas of Latin America and Mexico, Southeast Asia, Africa. I mean, really Eastern Europe, all over the world where life goes on. Sometimes it's not pleasant, but it, it's not just, you know, Mad Max kind of free for all there. There is some level of order and one thing that we see in a lot of these places as well is someone always steps in to provide some level of order. The order may not be what you want. It may not make sense to you, but there are laws that are implemented, even if you think it's chaotic. I mean, that is, that is someone else's order. When we're talking about gangs or warlords or mafias or whatever other kind of organized crime, that are going to step in to fill the void. And, and sometimes if you're lucky, that's members of the community who are going to step up and be the police when there are no police. And, you know, this is what I refer to as, as the gray zone. And, you know, the gray zone has a lot of other connotations, but I tell you, I do not want those people establishing their order over me. I want to be in a position to work with good people in my community to establish the order when it disappears from my area. And intelligence is a key facilitator Then I would say it's mission critical. You cannot do that without intelligence. And that's the message that I just try to pound on every single day. Outstanding, extremely good description of what I think is coming and Shelby thinks is coming. Um, what are some tools people have out there? And this is a chance for you to talk about some of the stuff you provide because you provide very good stuff on this topic. So what are some things, if, if a listener out there has a, a to-do list going and is gonna jot down some stuff to do, what are some things that he or she can do to get up to speed on Intel? Well, you know, I, I suggest everyone follow a 60-30-10 model of information. And you spend 60% of your time on local, local developments. We, we tend to get that in the reverse. We, we spend a lot of time on what Congress is doing, what the latest thing that Biden said, what's going on in China or, or Ukraine. And we, when we follow that up to the minute, we're really neglecting the local situation, the tactical level. Most of your direct, actually I would say all for the average person, all of your direct threats or hazards or implications are going to be at the tactical level down the road on the other side of town, somewhere in your County, the tactical, the local level. And so you should be spending 60% of your time on the local level to better understand those direct threats. Beyond that 30% of your time, I would say, look at what's happening County in your, your County or your region or, or your state. And then 10% follow the national or strategic picture. One of the reasons why I started Ford observer is because 
I knew that we could do the best job at providing a the national and strategic picture for subscribers. And so what we want to do is is say you don't have to pay attention to what's happening in the East China Sea or what's happening with Taiwan or Ukraine or what's happening in Mexico because that's something we do very well. We can we can inform you, keep you up to date, and then let you know when we see things that kind of freak us out and say, hey, I'm stepping up my preparations because we just saw this early warning indicator tick on, and this is a, a BFD. This is a big deal. And so, I, you know, I, uh, that's that's probably a start, is, is be situationally aware of what's happening around the world, but you got to understand – you have your your area of cons- you have your sphere of concern and your sphere of influence, and they are a perfect circle in your locale. So we, we got to develop local intelligence first. Outstanding. And again, if you're listening to this, please don't think that intel is some big scary topic. You know what it reminds me of? I just had an epiphany, a spectacular epiphany. We're going to weave the word spectacular into everything we do today. Uh, it keeps listeners listening. So my my epiphany is it, Intel is much like ham radio, which in in a sense is uh, ham radio. A lot of people thought, oh, my goodness, I don't understand math and equations and amps and ohms and resistance. And I, I don't know anything about this complicated matter. It's not complicated, especially when there are resources out there that can teach this to you. And you need to get outside your comfort zone. You know, if you're going to prepare, you need to, and if you're listening to the show, you are in some stage of preparing. Um, you need to get outside your comfort zone and cover topics that are foreign to you that maybe you don't think you're very good at. Maybe you think there's a really steep learning curve because the whole point of preparedness is you can't rely on other people to mm-hmm. do stuff for you. You can't rely on an Intel guy um, telling you what you need to worry about. You can't rely on the water company. You can't rely on the electric company. You can't rely on the police being able to respond. And it's just so weird to me that we as preppers have this this mindset that says we're not going to rely on people for things that directly impact our lives and and could cause us a great deal of harm. We're not going to we're not going to rely on people for that. Yet we're not going to at all look into intel and when even though when it's pretty obvious that it's got a huge huge impact and so it's that that frustration and and the reason we're so glad to have sam on the show is because these resources that he has these are seriously you know teaching uh educational materials it's not like he got out of the army and they had like satellite stuff well they do have satellite stuff but it's not like he's saying well, so go ahead and get yourself a satellite. Okay, that's not really going to help me, right? And so this is something so practical and so needed. It's one of the reasons this show exists is because it's that next level, that 2.0 level. We talk about things that people need to know that maybe they've forgotten the importance of, and we tell them about it, and Intel fits precisely into it. Well, this has been great, Sam. We're just getting warmed up with you. We're going to come back on the other side of the break and get more great information from Sam Culper. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. 
EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or a CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Looking to meet other like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own prepper group? Already have a group? Join PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet has gathered the biggest names in the industry to help unite preppers everywhere. Join John Jacob Schmidt, Scott Hunt, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Charlie Hogwood, Samuel Culper, Survivor Jane, Rick Austin, Franklin Horton, Ryan Mitchell, and Brian Duff. Our team is united. Check us out at PrepperNet.com. Com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. PrepperNet.com. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome back, everyone. Shelby Gallagher here. Thanks for rejoining us. We're just getting started with our discussion of Intel with Sam Culper at Forward Observer. Stick around for the after show. We're we're just getting into the meat of this. If you're a Patreon, you'll get to hear about more. I wanted to let folks know about a fascinating guest we had last episode. It was Paul Burke. He's the Idaho realtor guy. I think anyone that listened to that show, and especially the after show, there was good stuff in the after show, you realize Paul is a fascinating guy, and he's really able to help you if you're going to Idaho or you're thinking about going to Idaho, especially if you are a first responder. Those are the folks he specializes in, but is by no means limited to. Go ahead and look at his website, which is First Response Realty, which is powered by Phantom Realty. Fathom, not Phantom. It's it's Halloween. I got fa- phantoms on the mind. <laughs> I should have nautical term for depth, Fathom Realty. So anyway, back to reality, firstresponserealty.com. Archive episode of the week. This has been a great feature. People are really loving this. We go back and we talk about old episodes we did. We have so many new listeners every show that a lot of people don't know that we're on episode 208 right now. And there were 207 previous episodes. A lot of people deduce that because they're good at math. They're good at math, yeah. Yeah. So um, episode 20, which aired way back, March 6th, 2019. Remember how much better life was on yeah, March 6th, 2019? Yeah, it was pre-pandemic. 2000? A lot of things. Were not, it wasn't perfect, but it was a lot better than it is now. Gas was $1.74 a gallon. Jeez. That episode, and this is an absolute, no kidding, must listen episode. It was called Anatomy of a Team. And it was a great description of a completely squared away mutual assistance group in the Spokane area that we've got to know. And those guys talked about how they put a team together, how they administer, organize, motivate, lead their team. And if if you want to know some tips on a mutual assistance group, episode 20, Anatomy of a Team, is what you ought to listen to. Well, and also, on your, that mutual assistance group, listen to that and you'll hear about how they put together someone on their team who does the area studies. Thank you. And marries up really well with the episode we're talking about with Sam today. But real quick, I was thinking about it as I was listening to our discussion in the first half. Um, And here's an example for you folks. And I'm curious what Sam thinks about this. I've recently had a police officer, and we know several of them in our whole world, tell me that in his job, and I'm going to keep it real um, Vague. vague, he is in charge of overseeing policing a local city municipality sanctioned homeless camp, but dignity domes. If you've read my books, I call them dignity domes. These little like kind of puff tents of, to put homeless people. Those books are called a great state by the way. And you can find them on our website as well. And he 
messaged me and said, how did you know? How did you know that crime is this rampant, that they have their little gangs, that they have their little cartels, that every day someone gets raped or beaten, that the occupants are sheep for the wolves and the wolves are the they and how they set up their own little governments in these camps and his job is to police this and i just kind of shrugged and i said i made it up i mean (laughs) when you take the conditions that you have you know you have this basically put together this little community and you've taken the police away from it that's what it's like what sam just said when there's a void in leadership someone whether you like it or not will take over the leadership and put controls in place and so now that i've described that sam i'd really like to know what your thoughts are on kind of this this movement that's happening in the communities all over the us of putting together these little government sanctioned homeless camps and and what that should add or include in our area studies shelby you bring up a really good point and really we're getting into the realm of what's called the code of the street. And there's a great book by Elijah Anderson. I think it was written back in the nineties called code of the street. And it's an ethnography of some folks who live in Philadelphia. And I think Atlanta and maybe a couple of other places and they have their own laws. They have their own language. They have their own way that they live life. And that is something that's so important to put into your area of study and to observe locally because we run into trouble when we're operating in an area where we do not understand that local code. And the local code can be in rural central Texas, right? I mean, we have our own kind of code, mannerisms, behaviors that are, uh, you know, either tolerated or, or encouraged. And when someone from California moves into the area and they live their life like they did in California, we say, hey, that's a violation of the code. You know, we're not into uh, enforcing that, but other people are. Mm-hmm. And so the, the homeless camps and, and the, we saw, you know, we see this a lot in Austin, Texas as well. I mean, just massive amounts of homeless people and they have their own codes. And those codes in many cases are enforced. And we look at Iraq and Afghanistan are two really great examples. I spent a year in Iraq and two years in Afghanistan. And when you don't understand the culture there, when you don't understand the code, you violate the code. When you violate the code, you piss people off. When you piss people off, they're more likely to start shooting at you or to provide information to an adversary and to an enemy. As we look all throughout Latin America, those blocks, those communities or these villages, they have their own codes. I think everyone should be developing their own codes because that is going to be very, I think, crucial in navigating the future, especially in the gray zone. And then also, if your code is not in the majority, you have to understand the majority code and uh, figure out where you're going to run afoul of it because this is a, a part, I think, of navigating our gray zone future that not a lot of people pay attention to. That code exists. We have to understand it or we have to enforce our own code in the future. You know, you're so right. Develop your own code. And I would simply add to that, develop a code that's better than the competing codes. And what I mean by that is develop a code that number one works, keeps bad guys away and maintains order, but is decent and treats people well so that people will naturally gravitate. This is Pierce point from 299 days all over again. People will gravitate towards the place that has the better functioning system. And by better, I mean, fairer and more humane. And I'm not talking lollipops and unicorns and be nice to everybody. Trust me. It has to function and you develop the code that is better and you will have more people contributing more and you will have more strength because there's strength in numbers when it comes to some of these battles. Um, What do you think about that? Have a better code. I think you're spot on. Mm -hmm. One of the things that like, you know, when you looked at like um, say, Saddam Hussein in Iraq or the Taliban. Actually, the Taliban in Afghanistan in the 90s is the best example. The Taliban came to power partially because they were supported by the people. Before the rule of the Taliban, and I'm not obviously not condoning or defending the Taliban, but before that, you had tribal warlords who would make judgments or hand down these kind of judicial decisions that benefited them. And it was very chaotic for for the Pashtuns who lived in those areas because they never, they never knew 
what kind of arbitrary and capricious decision this tribal warlord would make that maybe affected their family. Maybe they, they took livestock away. Maybe they took away some of their land. Maybe they, uh, when the Taliban came in, they provided stability. And you read the, the firsthand observations of the people who live there. They were supportive of the Taliban because the Taliban enforced a predictable order. Now it may not be better than, uh, you know, it may be better in some ways, but yeah, you know, Glenn, getting back to your, your point, I, I think that's spot on. When we can have the rule of law as it was intended for the United States, where, you know, we, we respect private property, we people have liberties, they have rights, they have boundaries. When we enforce those, I think you're right. People will say, I much prefer living in that type of society than the other way around. You know, there's the thing that people say, you know, you, you can't kill the Constitution to save it. And it's, I kind of look at the same things. You get into very dangerous territory when you say, well, I'm going to violate my own rules just this once. And, uh, you know, that, that's just not predictable. And people can see through it. Even if you're trying to do what you're suggesting and it's a bad idea, people are going to see through it because they've seen with their own eyes what happens in this country when we ha we clearly have two justice systems in this country. Don't worry. This is not a rant about that. Everyone listening understands that. I don't need to even elaborate on that point. But they've seen what arbitrary stuff is. Of course, they haven't seen it as bad as it's going to get. It's certainly not Taliban levels or warlord levels. And so you can't fool people. People are going to be looking for simplicity and what works and you as a leader, because it, people listening right now, like it or not, you folks are going to be the leaders, most of you, in an SHTF world. You're squared away. You've planned for things. You even have heard the term and considered what an area study is. You are light years ahead of the general population. So you, at one level or another, are going to be involved in putting society back together, in maintaining society and, and hopefully putting it back in a good way. And so whether you like it or not, you have been assigned this job by fate. And so you better have the tools to execute well. And one of those tools is local intelligence. Yes. <laughs> Simply, yes. yes. So let's move on to some, some other topics. And, and sticking with your 60-30-10 rule, which I think is brilliant. By the way, I don't know why it's so hard for a lot of preppers, and I include myself in this because I had to break myself of this. Why is it so hard for so many preppers to not fixate on what um, Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer said and get down to local stuff? I think we've just been trained by it. And it's more work, by the way to find out where the homeless camps are in your area than it is to watch Fox News and see Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell trade, you know, 10-second uh, uh, sound bites. But in any event, so we've talked a lot about the 60, the local stuff, and I think, Sam, you've made a terrific case for why people need to care about intelligence at the local level. Let's move to maybe a bit of the national level and not necessarily things that are happening like, you know, uh, potential threats to power grids and stuff like that. There's, there's a topic of great concern to a lot of preppers and that is the federal government being out of control and specifically federal law enforcement seeming to target one side and letting another side go. What do you say to folks that are really concerned about what's going on with federal law enforcement right now? The first thing I would say is, just to back up for a second, I can't even watch Fox News anymore because it's just constant outrage. And right. what's happening in Chicago or California or wherever else, you know, that that's important to them there. How about what's happening in my county? So, Glenn, coming back to your this question, you know, part of your building your area studies, understanding the political and judicial and law enforcement lay of the land, figuring out what these politicians believe, not what they say on the campaign trail. But, you know, look at how they vote, what they're saying in meetings, what they're saying off the record, what they actually believe. I think the solution to part of this, I, you know, it's really a kind of a dual strategy. And I, I borrow this concept from the socialists. Going 
there there should be a political solution to some of this stuff because you know passing a law or revoking a law or whatever locally um, i think that is an important part of the solution it's not the only part of the solution the other part is we have to build social power and one reason why i continually harp on using your network to build political social and economic power is because that gives you a lot more power to project in a low intensity conflict or in a gray zone environment and so building that social power um, there's a reason why community organizing is a career path on the left and that's because they are building and exercising social power it's because it works we need to do the same thing and so the other part of the solution is to build public awareness and get people angry and agitate and go out and knock on doors and show up on the doorsteps of where these decisions are being made and say, we do not want this decision. And maybe it will help solve the problem. Maybe it won't help solve the problem, but you have to, you have to pursue that course of action first before you jump to other additional courses of action. You know, I think that conservatives overhate politics. And let me describe what I mean by that. And conservatives, I mean preppers. It's not a political word. It's just separating ourselves from the masses, basically. But I'll use the term conservatives. And when I say overhate, I say that, that because our side tends to be so jaded and so pessimistic and so repulsed by politics. And by politics, I don't mean Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. I mean the community getting together and doing stuff or not doing stuff. I mean the community getting together and having a sheriff's posse that maintains order on some decent level with some decent standards, that sort of thing. I mean, so many conservatives, they want to be left alone so very much. And I understand why, especially when <laughs> you look at Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, I get why you want to be left alone. But candidly, a lot of you guys are overdoing it on the being left alone thing. You need to work with other people. And, and the social power you're talking about, Sam, is exactly what I mean. I never had a phrase for it. Thank you for the phrase. I'm going to shamelessly use it from now on. But the social power, I mean, being able to get your neighbors together because, for example, you as a person have credibility with them and you are reaching out to them. You're building networks. I don't know how many times Shelby and I have talked about Curious what you think about this, uh, Sam. Shelby and I have talked about when, especially when we lived in Washington State, every summer it was the barbecue interview sessions. We would have people in neighborhood, in the town over, a lot of law enforcement folks. We would just barbecue, just hanging out, having a good time. And we were very softly interviewing them. And probably some of them were interviewing us. And we were getting the networks together. Now we kind of pulled up stakes and moves, so that really didn't go anywhere. But this this barbecue in interview thing where you are finding out about your neighbors very softly, very uh, informally, not not probing and, and not, you know, invading anyone's privacy. The last thing you want to do is come out and say, I got a whole bunch of food stored up because um, I think there's going to be zombies you know, bye-bye credibility. So what do you think about um, my elaboration on your concept of social power? Did I get it right or did I get it wrong? Yes, you got it right. And you bring up some very good points that we're mostly not in a position to go out and just start asking questions. And this is something we teach in our human intelligence classes as well is the concept of elicitation how to talk to people, how to gather information using statements as opposed to questions. And we can use certain conversational prompts. I mean, there's a whole list of elicitation techniques that we can use at our disposal to get people talking about it. And once we, we, once we build some rapport, we kind of build a basic level of trust. We, and by the way, this becomes a lot easier if you do your homework before this contact with this individual. Like, you know, if you know someone is coming to your community potluck, well, hop on Facebook, see if they're so on social media, look them up on LinkedIn or whatever, and learn some stuff about these people. So you have something to talk about, something to engage them with, not in a creepy way, just in a, Hey, I'm going to grease the wheels of this conversation. Cause I already know a bunch of stuff about this guy. When we do that, we can 
not only facilitate, we can accelerate the process of feeling these people out. And we should absolutely be using that as a, a lily pad to build our team, to build our, our network or build a community. And just lastly, these people don't necessarily need to understand that they are part of my intelligence network. That's the beauty of an intelligence network. You can have unwitting sources, <laughs> but, it's, but they're not going to develop themselves. You know, we, we got to go out and, and meet and develop these people. Yeah. And I think another um, flaw in the personality of many preppers, candidly, is that a lot of us are introverts and, and it's, it, I've made the point that, you know, we don't like groups, but I think part of it is, is that the introverted comfort zone that a lot of preppers have is something they need to get over. They need to do the barbecues. They need to do the Facebook research. They need to do these things to make this human intelligence network actually work. So I, I, I think I find this fascinating and I'm going to kind of do a little deep dive here. Watch what I'm about to do. What, this is social cues. So I'm looking at Glenn right now. Watch what I'm about to, to do. Uh, so Glenn, you do this football thing. What's that all about? Oh, it's great. I'm a football announcer. It's a lot of fun. Great community activity. I really, I think that Friday night football games, it's very American. It makes me feel very wholesome. Reminds me of my childhood. Ding, ding, ding. I you just, just found out a ton I about me. Just by giving him like an open, and now I asked the question, but I could have just said, so football announcing. And because that's something that's important to him, he's going to just go off. And I'm just sitting here going, you know, I'm taking notes. So, And how did you know, back to Sam's point yes. about getting on Facebook or doing a little homework, how did you know that I was a Facebook announcer or Facebook, the football announcer? You did a little research yes. into me. You found out just a teeny morsel of information. And then by asking these open-ended questions. Or, or just leaving an open-ended statement with that little football announcing. Wow. See, you don't need to have your own satellite network to do this kind of right. stuff. It's really simple. Am I right, Sam? There's so much to social yes. cues that we can learn from. Yeah. I don't. I didn't mean to take no, over. No, that's a great but example. But I think people need to know, see an example or hear an example of that to know that you can gather information. I totally do what Sam just described. I stalk people. I'm sorry. I look at people on social <laughs> media because they're going to, if they're, if you, if it's public they want you to see it mm -hmm. and second of all and then i yeah because people like to talk about themselves so if you kind of give them just a little nugget they'll chomp on and you can just sit there and take notes mental notes so yeah go ahead sam talk about that yeah. you have a few more minutes sure asking an opinion is a, a really great uh it can be a, a good icebreaker it is an elicitation technique you know you could also in that situation say if you're new to the area or maybe, you know, maybe you're not new to the area to say, you know, I'm really interested in football and I'm, I, I want to start going to the football games. And if you already know this person is a, uh, is involved there, then what is he probably going to say in response? So, you know, identifying a mutual interest is also a very good elicitation technique. Uh, I, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of things. I dummy mode is kind of another thing. And yes, you're kind of asking questions, but you pretend where you don't know anything about this topic and, Every piece of information you get is just fascinating to you. And if you just give conversational cues like, wow, like, man, that's so interesting. And then you just shut up. That person's probably going to continue talking. So elicitation is one of the best ways for, for preppers or for really anybody to gather information in a very non-invasive, non-alarming manner. Most people just keep talking as long as there's a good conversational flow. So really your job as a collector is to keep that conversational flow continue to provide prompts and guide the conversation to where exactly where you want it to go. I formerly withdraw my question about federal law enforcement, because what we're talking about at the local level is way more interesting. Well, and hey, useful. we've got so an after show to talk about. Well, we, yeah, yeah, we can talk we about can anything totally we want. We can talk about that in the after show and it might be better too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So keep going, Sam. What are some things people out there who are preppers need to know about Intel? We have a couple like a minute or so. Yeah. Well, the first thing is a neighborhood watch is a de facto intelligence network. Members of the neighborhood watch don't necessarily need to know that they are involved in intelligence gathering, but that's exactly what they're doing. You can, the great thing about a neighborhood watch is a, there's some level of authority. If you can run it in conjunction with the County Sheriff's office, or, you know, maybe if your town has something like that, there's authority. And that's a, a very big part of legitimacy 
and people wanting to cooperate with you. The second thing is it gives you access to neighbors. You can go door to door and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm a, the block captain or the precinct captain of the neighborhood watch. You know, here's a card or here's a one sheet with local crime trends or here's the local crime map. And I'm here to talk to you today because I want to start a neighborhood watch and we're going to get all, all the people who live on this block or all the people in the subdivision involved. And this is an effort to make sure that we stay safe and secure from criminals from emergencies, you know, I mean, a neighborhood watch is, the goal of your neighborhood watch is to, is to transform it into a mutual assistance group. Now, not everyone's going to be interested in that. Not everyone's going to give you the time of day. You may even experience that people are hostile to this idea. Maybe they think it's invasive. I heard one guy said he took my advice and went door to door and started this neighborhood watch. And one of the guys said, oh, that's racist. You can't start a neighborhood watch. That's- <laughs> what? So, but so at any rate, but you know, you're going to experience hurdles or potential speed bumps, but I tell you, people more and more are becoming very interested in this stuff. Oh yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So real quick, we have to give you a little bit of the hook here. We got to cut you off real quick. Tell us, tell us, tell our listeners how people can find you, reach you, get a hold of your courses. Yeah. Thank you. So you can go to forwardobserver.com. That's my main job, my main effort. We produce a free daily intelligence report called the Daily Situational Awareness. We also stream the show on YouTube. And then we jump over to the high side, which is our our subscriber side. We talk about these big impact things and we we discuss likelihood and impact. And, you know, more and more we're talking about, oh, there's a recession or a financial crisis or war with Taiwan or a tactical nuke being used potentially in Ukraine. Wow. We need to. How does that affect me? We're, we're going to catch up. Uh, we're going to, sorry, we always have to do this at the end of the regular show, but the good stuff's in the after show. Stick around, everybody, if you're a Patreon for Sam Culper and Shelby, take us out. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail from Benjamin Franklin. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.